Welcome to the Airport Wild Podcast. Uh, this is episode number 10, and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing WAMRAT. That's the Wildlife Hazard Management Risk Assessment Tool, and we're going to be discussing it with one of the contributors to the creation of this tool, uh, Russ DeFusco. Uh, with Russ, we're going to be sitting down and talking about all the different data points that go into this and how it can help you uh, manage your airport a little bit better for wildlife. Um, or at least get a better idea of what, what kind of management might be required on your airport. Um, so before I get too wordy and trip over myself, let's just dive right in. Good. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm very glad to hear you're using this or somebody's using this uh, because it was really designed um, in order to allow any size airport anywhere in the country to um, do a, a, a self-evaluation of where they are and then trend over time to uh, continuously improve their programs. So that was the whole point of this model but it, it's in a much larger context so if i can i really kind of need to back up a little bit about where all this started and then we can go into the model itself and please do stop me anywhere for questions because um, not a whole lot of people have been using this as it was intended and so uh, it sounds like you have a little experience and it'll be helpful to uh, f find if there's any uh, any uh, advantages or pitfalls that you found in trying to implement this around the country. So okay. if I can, let me start um, all the way back uh, to how this initially um, was commissioned by the FAA through the Airport Cooperative Research Program, which is part of the Transportation Research Board. So the Transportation Research Board actually is um, it is an independent arm. It's actually the part of the National Academies of Sciences that does research on various transportation projects for the Department of Transportation, including the Federal Aviation Administration. So the FAA, of course, which administers airports and, and uh, air traffic control and things that everybody's familiar with, has an arm of that called the Airport, Airport Cooperative Research Program. So the Airport Cooperative Research Program actually solicited um, inputs into a, um, a program to integrate wildlife management into their safety management programs. And actually, I'm going to hold this up for those that are on a video. Um, I know you also have just an audio version of this going. Yep. But ACRP Report 145, hopefully you can see that. Yep, is I can see it called applying an air and a s an sms approach to uh, wildlife hazard management so sms is safety management systems and again back this up a little bit further even further still sms safety management systems is the kind of industry standard for uh, integrating all of your safety programs on airports and the International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO, actually mandated several years ago that all member states develop an SMS approach to all their safety management programs. Um, 
So the FAA has actually kind of struggled with this a little bit. There's some guidelines out there, um, advisory circulars and so on that were in draft form back in 2015 when they commissioned this study to integrate the wildlife management into the overall safety management program. And it's a perfect fit. Uh, in a nutshell, um, safety management systems uh, have four, four really basic components. One is safety policy, and that's where the, the uh, organization's leadership actually commits to a safety uh, perspective on how to manage their overall uh, safety programs. So they develop policy. Um, essentially, an airport will say our goal is to ensure that um, safety of flight is managed uh, you know, to the maximum extent possible within our budgetary and manpower constraints. Uh, but anyway, they formulate their own policy, and every airport can do this for themselves, although the FAA has set up some guidelines for that. So first you have policy, then there's a, a module, and I'm not going to go into all the details on this, but the, the next step in this is to assess where you are. So you do a risk assessment, um, and and this is really important when we get into the wham rat and all as well, but the a risk assessment actually looks at where your vulnerabilities are um, to have um, uh, some sort of a risk to your operations. And risks can be um, to human health and safety, uh, to economies, uh, to damage to aircraft components, um, or to the airport environment itself. Um, so the risk is what you're determining um, in an assessment process. Well, again, uh, to, to put this in a wildlife perspective, every certificated airport and every airport in the United States that accepts federal grants, uh, grants and aid under Grant Assurance 19 um, has conducted or is in the process of conducting a wildlife hazard assessment for their airport. So this fits perfectly in the SMS model. So you do a, a risk assessment um, and the part 139, which uh, dictates this for, uh, for certificated airports, and then again, airports that have accepted federal monies um, also follow the same guidelines that are specified in part 139 and then further in the advisory circulars on how to do risk assessments. And actually they call it a hazard assessment. And if I can stop for just a second, um, the terms are, used inappropriately, interchangeably. <laughs> a hazard is something that occurs in the environment that can cause an, a harm. So a deer standing in the middle of the runway is a potential hazard. Well, if it's in the middle of the runway in the middle of the night and you've got no operations going, there's no risk. So the risk is actually uh, a measure of the probability that you encounter that hazard that hazard. So it's a combination of the presence of the environmental hazard and the exposure to that hazard. And then that combination leads to um, the, uh, the likelihood or the probability that it can actually cause some sort of damage. Um, and, and that's the risk. And every airport has to determine what level of risk they're willing to live with. If you don't fly, there's no risk. 
Um, but every, every airport has to assume some level of risk that's acceptable um, to, to continue to operate. So in any case, you do a hazard assessment. That's the second part of this SMS process within the wildlife context. And then develop a wildlife hazard management plan. And the management plan is actually the implementation of programs in order to mitigate risk. So to drive the risk lower. Um, so again, you, you have the policy that sets up the assessment and then a management program in order to try to uh, reduce the risk to acceptable levels. Uh, the next part of that is a, um, a continuous assessment um, of the data that is derived from those management programs. So uh, you collect data on, on the presence of wildlife in the area, uh, where, where and when they occur, uh, how many strikes do you have? What types of aircraft uh, are involved in the strikes? What type of wildlife are involved in those strikes? All of that goes into the FAA's Federal Wildlife Strike Database, where we can look back at the ultimate consequence of risk. You know, how many accidents did we have? How many incidents did we have? Uh, how many injuries? You know, what's the cost? to the airport, to the entire national system of um, dealing with wildlife. So uh, that part of it, the data collection, so you collect the data, you analyze the data, you uh, determine where the, where the vulnerabilities are based on the gaps uh, between your program and where the data is showing you, you may need to put more emphasis you trend that information over time, and then you go back and you modify your plans. Uh, and that last step is really part of the, the fourth part of SMS, and that's a feedback loop to where um, you, you, you do a, um, a, a reevaluation on a continuous basis of where your vulnerabilities lie. So that's SMS in a nutshell. So you, you set up a policy, you assess where you're at, you mitigate uh, based on your assessment, and then you go back and determine from the data whether or not you're having any success or where, where the gaps are that you need to further um, improve. And that's a continuous feedback loop. You're, you constantly do this. That's SMS in a nutshell. Um, so the WAMRAT, which I know you want to talk about specifically today, is a tool in that arsenal of uh, assessment um, capabilities that allows you to, in a quantitative sense, determine where you're at and then do that continuous monitoring and, and hopefully drive the, your risk numbers down over time. So part of the, the goal that we had when we, uh, we did this uh, safety management system um, ACRP program was uh, we were tasked to develop a, an objective tool by which all airports, regardless of size or location within the country, could do an assessment of their risk and then uh, measure it in, a, in as quantitative a, a, a measure as possible to, um, to trend that information over time and make, make improvements within the context of the safety management system pro programs. So the, the WAMRAT is just one tool. There's other ways to assess 
uh, your trends over time. Again, are your strike rates going down? Are the types of birds that you're hitting or other wildlife hitting um, are less hazardous or less risky ultimately to aircraft operations? Um, you know, do, did we trade hummingbirds uh, for geese? And we'd much rather have hummingbirds than geese on their airfield. Um, right. Right. Um, so, so there's a lot of other ways to look at the data over time to determine whether you're having some success. But the WAMRAT was designed specifically for a couple of reasons. One, it would, in a quantitative sense, give you some numeric and empirical out, uh, outcomes to the best extent possible. And I'll explain some of the, the uh, shortcomings in that, if you will, uh, and some impossible areas to completely quantify. Um, and would allow an airport that continuously operates this system over time to in an empirical sense, once again, to monitor their trends, um, given a quantitative output based on what they put into the model. The other thing it would do, though, is allow airports to compare to other airports in their region or uh, across the nation. And the FAA wanted a tool that would allow them, as part of their certification process, to go and uh, be able to say, you know, this airport's doing X, Y, and Z. Um, you're, you may be doing something differently. Here's the result of those outputs. And maybe you guys should talk to each other and, and, uh, and, and share that information um, to improve everybody's programs. So I will say, before I even get into this, that we're a little disappointed that um, we've never fully been able to implement this. Um, the, the, we we had extensive cooperation from a number of airports, ranging from general aviation airports to um, to commuter airports to um, even the military, but certainly air taxi services, all the way up to international airports that were involved in the process of developing and commenting and refining the model as we developed it. We then tested it on a number of airports that were not involved in the development process to see how they did using the, the system. Um, the, there was always a goal to, to do a follow-up study with ACRP to really test this um, in, a, in a very large scale across the country. They didn't fund it. So, uh, you know, even though we proposed a follow-up, uh, it's not to this point been funded. So the FAA, um, recognizing that, uh, decided that they would do that in-house with their research people and generally with um, uh, airport wildlife biologists, uh, could be, could be uh, consultants, but uh, more than likely would have been their USDA folks that they have on hundreds of airports around the country to test this. They also didn't do this. So it has not really been utilized to the extent that we hoped. And we, you know, who knows where this is going, but we actually thought there'd be an advisory circular that would come out on this that would um, further guide airports to implementing this program. So for anybody that's watching this, uh, we're really encouraged that you are, and hopefully you'll implement this and then get back to us with uh, with your results if there are some tweaks that we can make to the model over time. Again, it's just one tool in the arsenal that you can use, but we, we thought a very powerful tool. So let, let me stop there for a minute. Got any questions to, to that point before we get into the model itself? 
no, I mean, I've just been, uh, just been listening and, and uh, just uh, liking hearing the, the backstory and on everything. Um, cause so we haven't been using this too much, but it's something I really want to get more of. I think it's just um, in the research I've been doing on it, uh, I've been kind of just doing some mental calculations for for the airports that I work at. Um, I mean, we don't, we're not going to show a whole lot because I mean, we're in the Sonoran Desert. You know, we don't have, you know, we're not D.C. or, you know, any of those Northeastern, so we're not going to show nearly as much as they are. But um, I, I've just been fascinated, like, just going through this. Um, I mean, everything that, what I like is that you've taken what generally goes through a biologist's head, like, because, you know, you hear, um, I mean, an aviation biologist's head is you've taken stuff like, you know, you hear deer presence or absence or, or geese presence, like you're talking about, or cormorants or hummingbirds. And, um, I mean, biologists, were, our heads are already going towards, all right, what's that mean for the airport? What's the, how we're going to manage this differently? But it's sometimes hard to translate that, especially for folks that aren't as uh, wildlife-minded. And I think that this formula, I'm just in reading it, it really takes a lot of that mentality and it puts it into a very what i think is a simple to read format um you know i can take this and show it to airport staff you know they they know what a difference with a cormorant and a goose is but um like there's two different but as a water bird you know they act totally different there um but it, but at the same time they're similar you know similar body sizes flock sizes behavior you know there is some similarities and some differences but um and I know I'm just kind of rambling, but uh, so I don't really have any questions. All I've been saying is, all I want to say is, I think this is really cool, and I can't wait to learn some more. Yeah, good. Uh, and and we, you should see uh, being in the Sonoran de Desert a big difference between you and San Francisco or JFK or Miami. Um, yep. And this this is a again an empirical way to actually show quantitatively the differences. Um, at the same time, you know, you're in an area of the country that doesn't have very high risks compared to other parts of the country, but every airport should be working to drive their risks down. And right. that's right. the whole goal of this thing. So you, you can compare yourself to a JFK or to, or to a Dallas or something, uh, you know, between you and, and or Phoenix or wherever else uh, you may want to make those comparisons. But at yeah. the same time, if you're in Phoenix, you should be driving your risk down as well. And this oh, is yeah. what everybody can use. Uh, so yeah, so it's definitely. Um, we're not going to be the only ones out here. I mean, we're not. The, we're not the only ones in the Sonora. So, right. I mean, if, I mean, for what we learn here in Phoenix, you know, we have there's there it seems like you turn around every corner, there's another airport. Um, and you know they're going to have it. So it's not just you know comparing us to say JFK. You know, yeah. totally, but it's, but it's showing, uh, you know, you know, you can compare Sky Harbor to Bullhead to uh, McCarran up in Las Vegas to Tucson. You know, everybody can 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 really learn from each other, and you know, well, excuse me, use this quantitative uh, data to really emphasize what's already kind of anecdotal, um, and then just put a number and put it so everybody can understand that. Hey, this is what's going on. This is where we need to make some changes. Let's do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. So, if I can, and, and it's it's 
uh, we've made a, a very simple output to this thing. And you know that if you've used the model there, um, you know, it, essentially um, it's just a, a series of spreadsheets and, and really only four uh, that'll ultimately get, get you to your ultimate uh, uh, results. But the background behind it, and I kind of want to explain that as we go through, and you tell me if I'm going into too much detail, but there's an awful lot of modeling behind this that occurs <laughs> behind the scenes. It's done automatically for you, and um, there's, a, there's assumptions and also algorithms that were used to develop those calculations that um, people should know at least a little bit of where they come from um, so that there's some confidence in the, in the model outcome itself. So. Yeah. So let me start um, with, again, I, I know um, we talked on risk assessment. So the way this model works is you, there's several modules that the user needs to put inputs into. And then behind the scenes, again, the, the model actually makes calculations for you. But the entire thing is best based on uh, risk matrices that are actually part of uh, any type of a safety management system, certainly part of SMS, uh, but anything from operational risk management that was used by the military, um, other safety systems that have been used for years. And I'm just, I'm just going to hold this up, make sure that we can see this. But um, this is straight out of the draft uh, advisory circular for, um, for, uh, for the SMS. I'm just showing you a risk matrix here. And I just want to say this just because this is the basis of the entire system. So if you notice on the x-axis here, we have the uh, severity of an incident. And on the y-axis, you have the likelihood or probability of that uh, occurring. And so I, I don't need to show this again, but what you have is a color-coded uh, matrix that comes out with the upper right-hand corner being in red, and those would be unacceptable risks that must be mi mitigated, all the way down to the lower left-hand corner, which is in green, which are low risks, which the airport may say, we can live with that. And then those areas in yellow, you always want to try to drive things down into the green. But again, the airport might make the determination that those are moderate risks that are acceptable or they're um, you know, pushing into the red area where that may be unacceptable. So that's the basis for the entire system is are these likelihood versus severity matrices. matrices. So the way the model works is uh, we'll start with the easy and I'll talk about the advanced version. They're almost identical, but for somebody like you that is a more sophisticated user and understands the birds and can identify them, um, you may want to use the more advanced version and I'll talk about the differences in, the, in those at the end. But in any case, what we do is um, we went through a, a part of our, uh, our research was to uh, divide the birds that are of potential, uh, uh, you know, potentially risky to aircraft operation and put them into guilds. Uh, again, as a biologist, you understand that. But guilds, yeah. guilds are groups of species that behave and occupy niches in the environment in a similar manner. They may not be taxonomically related, uh, and I'll give some examples of that as we go. For example, um, to start with blackbirds and starlings, we lump into an, a guild 
which we call blackbirds and starlings. Blackbirds and starlings are unrelated taxonomically, but they behave very, very similarly. They even flock together, especially during winter months. And so they respond to, to uh, habitat features, uh, roosting sites, nesting um, areas, and harassment efforts that you may use on the airport almost identically. So we group them into the same guild. So one of the things that we found doing this research, and I've known this now for decades working in this business, is that the guild designations are non-standard. You at one airport may put birds into a guild that another airport just down the road might put into a different guild. Yeah. So one of the things that we did right from the beginning is that we took every single bird, mammal, and reptile species in the United States from various uh, sources. Uh, for birds, for example, we use the American Ornithological Union's checklist of birds of, of North America. Everything north of the Mexican border, uh, including all of Canada and Hawaii, we threw in there as well. Uh, every bird that's been recorded here, either routinely or accidentally, was listed in this publication. Um, and 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 then we put them into guilds. So one of the things I'm, I'm going to encourage everybody that's watching this to do is use these guild designations so that when we're working in New York or we're working in Wisconsin or we're working in Florida or we're working in Arizona, we all have the same group of birds when we talk about blackbirds and starlings, or not that, that every species will be identical, but at least the guild designation can be consistent across the United States. Um, again, we did that for all the mammals in the United States and all the reptiles uh, that could potentially occur on airports as well. <clears throat> so the next step was, once we put them into guilds, is we took the, the mean or average, and it, it, it doesn't really matter that we come up with the same result, biomass of individuals within those guilds. So how much does an oven bird weigh? How much does a uh, rusty blackbird weigh? How much does a Canada goose weigh? And uh, we, we have a, a scale going from, you know, um, 10 grams, which is a hummingbird, you know, all the way up to thousands of grams, which are geese and swans and things like that on the upper end. Yeah. And we found that there's some natural breaks in, um, in the, the biomass, and we divided them into five classes. So everything from, from one, which would be a hummingbird, all the way up to five, which is a tundra swan. Um, and we, we took the mean weight of birds within those gills and then designated them with a severity level that's strictly based on their biomass. So one through five. So if you have a swan on your airport, you do not have to go into the publication to determine that it's five. You just say it's in this guild and that model will, will assign a severity value for you based on the biomass. So it's totally objective. I mean, you just have to say what's on the airport. The model then determines the severity level. So that's easy. Um, that was the easy part, uh, even though we're talking about thousands of species that are all detailed in this report, by the way. Every one of them is listed in here in the appendices. Um, so if, you're, if you wonder, you know, what's the, 
mean weight of a, a green wing teal. You can look it up in here, it'll tell you what it is, and it'll tell you what the severity level is based on that mean weight. Um, but all you need to do is tell them that we have waterfowl on our airfield and it'll, it'll calculate the severity level for you. So the more difficult part, and this is where I would say more than 75% of the discussion that we had within the panel that was part of the ACRP, as well as all the airports that we dealt with, is how do you determine the likelihood of a strike? There is no way to quantitatively do this. There are, uh, with, with complete certainty, there is no way this could be done. Uh, I'm not suggesting we didn't do it, but it's, it requires some expertise and it requires some judgment. Um, so we're really dependent on biologists um, at the local level to, to input that particular uh, um, value into the model. Um, th this is your call. So there's a number of ways that we can get at this. And, and we did all of this, by the way, in, in eventually coming up with this system. You could look, for example, in an airport with a lot of strikes. Um, JFK has a strike virtually every day, for example. Um, the likelihood of a strike when you have hundreds or thousands of strikes over the a period of years, um, you can simply look at what has been struck here in the past. We hit more gulls than we hit shorebirds, or we hit more shorebirds than we hit grassland birds, or we hit way more blackbirds and starlings than we hit woodland birds, for example, that are all these different guild designations. Uh, we rarely or never have a strike with a seabird, for example, uh, you know, a, a kittiwake or a, um, uh, you know, an albatross or something like that. Um, so you could look at your strike history if you have enough data to do that and say, the likelihood of a strike with a goose is 10 times that of a, um, you know, uh, a pipit, for example. Um, and so that's one way we could get at it. Another way would be to use remote sensing. So in airports that have implemented uh, uh, avian radars, for example, um, that have some discriminatory uh, capabilities to determine whether you're, you're looking at gulls versus hawks or whether you're looking at uh, flocks of passerines migrating through versus shorebirds. They have different radar signatures. So uh, we could look at the biomass that's in the air that's, that's indirectly measured um, you know, through algorithms in, in a remote sensing uh, scenario. That, that could be infrared uh, sensors, uh, radar is by far the most common. And again, you can assign uh, likelihoods of strikes based on what's in the air. Most airports don't have either of those capabilities uh, because they don't either have enough data from their strike history or they may not have a radar or a, another uh, mechanism to remotely sense them. So it's up to the biologist or to the airport operations personnel to determine uh, what, what's the likelihood that we're gonna encounter these birds. So what we, uh, used primarily for this is if you look in the local literature um, in the field guides for example or in the uh, wildlife re refuge data for uh, nearby your airport uh, almost every one of these things has an abundance rating yeah. so any field guide you pick up Sibley, National Geographic, Robbins, Peterson um, will tell you the, the uh, relative abundance of birds in the local area and they range from not present 
and that would be a zero. So you don't have to put anything in the model if you don't have them present. To rare, which we, we classify as a one, uh, then it would go uh, uncommon, fairly common, common, or abundant. So if you use that scale, one to five, the same basic uh, one to five scale you used on the severity index for your likelihood index, um, you have to have some judgment in there, but you'll say likely, uh, you know, likelihood of a strike with waterfowl, they're fairly common in the area, is a three. All you have to do is put waterfowl in there and then say, uh, you know, the level of uh, probability that we'll actually encounter these is, you know, fairly common. So now what happens on that risk matrix is you have a severity on the x-axis, a likelihood of a strike on the y-axis, and it'll put a dot somewhere on that risk matrix that I held up earlier. Yep. And and there's a value on that dot, a num a numerical value. So what we what we do next is we take in aggregate all the gills that you input. So say you have waterfowl, raptors, blackbirds, gulls, and uh, grassland birds on your airfield. You put in a value for each of those five or six different gills that you have present. It aggregates those and comes up with a total aggregate score for your wildlife um, portion of this model. Um, so that, that's the first worksheet, the first stage. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna get to it later, but in the easy model, all you would do is, is say, we have waterfowl. When we get to the advanced version, you can actually put the species of waterfowl that you have in and it'll do the calculations for you based on the type of species you have. And that's the only difference between the two models. But anyway, so you put in abundance uh, you put in the abundance data, the likelihood of a strike. The model already knows the, the value for the severity of that, and it makes a calculation, which we call, and, and then it adds them up for each guild, and we call that the aggregate wildlife risk score. Okay, so that, that's the first step. Uh, next, then we go to the, the second worksheet. And by the way, if you've gone into the model, you know it's that you can go back and forth on, the, it's just an Excel um, database. So really simple, you jump to the next one, which is the operations input. So in the operations data, you for your airport, put in the total number of operations by class of airport for each, uh, for, for an average year. So, um, if you look at uh, what's called the air traffic data um, system, air traffic data system, it's an ATAS system that's that's in the um, in the FAA database, or you can look on something like AirNav, uh, which is available to anybody, or the airport operations people and the air traffic controllers should have this information um, at their fingertips. Have it on the website as well. They'll have like their yearly reports. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they'll they'll report at the end of each month or or weekly. But anyway, we just use an sure. annual total. So again, there's what what we did is we split um, aircraft operations into five different classes of airport of, of aircraft rather, commercial aircraft. That's you know large um, um, you know uh, Delta United American aircraft uh, makes sense. Air taxi, which are smaller aircraft, which are not generally run uh, as often and are smaller aircraft uh, generally uh, 
uh, less susceptible to strikes um, just for, you know, uh, you know, again, depending on where you're at. But anyway, so commercial aircraft, air taxi, uh, we have general aviation aircraft makes makes sense that includes jets but it but it's primarily small prop driven aircraft military aircraft and then rotary aircraft so you put in the total number of operations on an annual basis for each of those five classes of aircraft and uh, you know, so the total number of movements that that's all you got to put in there the uh, I I've got to explain how this calculation is made though too but Obviously, the more movements you have, the more likely you're going to have a strike. Right. I mean, makes perfect sense. More aircraft there are in the air, the more likely you're going to you're going to strike whatever's out there. But it's not linear. And so we actually had to to do a curvilinear function on this, and it's actually an arctangent function. So as you get to a certain number, it starts getting asymptotic at the upper end and levels off, and it makes perfect sense. Um, if you have no operations, you got no risk. If you have lots of operations, you have more risk, but it actually increases exponentially and then levels off over time. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, the aircraft operations themselves become disruptive and wildlife learn to avoid them over time. So you actually have uh, incrementally more risk in kind of the middle regions than you do at the upper end. The more operations you have, the more disturbance there is. Um, per unit of operation, the less risky it is. Um, the other thing is generally that more, the busier the airport gets, the larger it is, the larger their staff, the larger their funding, the larger their harassment and other efforts are. And so it tends to uh, tail off as you get toward the upper end of operations. And we, we used lots of data from a number of airports to calculate that. There's another calculation that goes into this though too. A strike on a helicopter is less risky in terms of uh, e economic impact, um, you know, human health and safety. Anyway, you're less likely to crash a helicopter hitting uh, a bird of the exact same size at the, uh, the, than you would if you hit a, a bird, um, you know, in a uh, small business jet, for example. So okay. the, each class of aircraft has a risk level associated with it based on their susceptibility to damage from those strikes. And that was derived from the FAA database. Over 200,000 records are out there. And if you, for example, take something that's very commonly struck, let's say a red tail hawk, and we look at the amount of damage that is reported for red tail hawk strikes on commercial aircraft, um, the um, you know, uh, general aviation aircraft, air track, taxis, military, and and rotary aircraft. We find that, for example, that the the actual damage rate on a um, commercial aircraft is two over two times that would for uh, the same strike on a red tail hawk with a helicopter. So there's there's a, a coefficient applied to that as well. In any case, all you have to do is put in the number of operations by those five classes of aircraft. The model does all those calculations in the background, and it will adjust the aggregate wildlife risk score that we got from the likelihood and the severity of the strike that you put in in the first data sheet. Right. It adjusts it uh, with what we call an operations adjustment, um, and it calculates the number uh, or the value uh, of the 
operations coefficient could increase your risk or decrease your risk based on the types of aircraft and the number of movements. And again, it comes out with an empirical value that's automatically calculated by the model for you. The next part of this is a habitat adjustment. So in the FA uh, advisory circulars, 33C now uh, specifically, we use 33B, which was active at the time. It lists a number of incompatible land uses around airports, uh, things such as landfills, um, golf courses, uh, sewage treatment plants, agriculture, those sorts of things. And uh, the distance from the airport is also important. The further away you go with one of those incompatible land uses, the less risk or the, even the less hazard that it poses to that airport. And, and that, um, that decrease in the, in the risk actually is an exponential decrease as, as you go further from the airport. So again, once again, we made a calculation in the model. You don't have to do this. You just have to say, we have a landfill and it's two miles from the airport and it's, on, it, it's within the traffic pattern. We have a sewage treatment plant that's five miles from the airport outside of the traffic pattern. So you put those inputs into the model. Um, this airport, you know, you may be at a general aviation airport in Iowa, is growing corn on the airfield inside of their perimeter security fences. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna be way more hazardous than, than that same cornfield if it was five miles away outside of the traffic patterns. So you put in the, the types of, um, land, of uh, landscape uses or land uses within the, uh, out to five miles, which is the FAA standard on that, at the distance and the type of uh, land uses. And again, the, the, the model calculates an adjustment to your um, aggregate wildlife risk score up or down based on the presence of those potentially habit, habitat attractants. The last thing you put in is the level of mitigation uh, that's applied to those things. So for example, you may have um, deer uh, very close to the airport, but you have a FA compliant security fence. So even though the deer are there, there's no risk because they're not on the airfield because that fence is keeping them out. Right. But that same fence doesn't keep geese, for example, of coming in. So you, you've put some mitigation level in there, but not 100%. Uh, how much harassment do we apply? Um, you know, uh, other types of mitigation measures. Uh, so, so, for example, let's say you have a water retention pond, stormwater retention pond on the airport that violates the FAA guidelines. So they want you to mitigate this. So one of the things you could do is put it in an underground storage tank. The risk just went to zero because the water is no longer available for that particular habitat feature. Uh, but maybe you can't afford to put in an underground storage tank, so you string wires across it. So we have a level of mitigation that's not 100%, but it's better than an open retention pond. Or we put bird balls out there and completely cover the water surface and once again, it's no longer available to the wildlife. So you, again, this is where a biologist has to come in because they have to determine the level of mitigation that's applied to this particular habitat feature. Um, so it can be, and we just made this really simple, low, moderate, 
and 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 high level of mitigation. So um, low, you go out with pyrotechnics every now and then. Moderate, you might put that um, that uh, you know uh, the grid system over. Um, high, you've totally removed the retention pond from the airport. So um, now you have an, uh, let's back up. The first one was an aggregate wildlife risk score. It's adjusted by the number of operations you have. It's further adjusted by the types of habitat that you have, and now further adjusted still to the mitigation applied to those, um, to, to those habitat features. By the way, we can also apply mitigation to specific um, wildlife that's out there. So let's, let's say you have um, uh, Canada geese and gulls on your airfield, and you've got some puddles on the field. Um, if you went out and hired um, you know, a con control specialist or the USDA or somebody to come in and do a, a goose roundup, and you remove all the nesting Canada geese from the airfield by addling the eggs or by destroying the eggs, um, you shoot some of the individual uh, uh, remaining resident Canada geese, and you've removed the geese from the area. Uh, you may still have those gulls, but you've removed the geese. So we've applied a high level of mitigation to a specific species, in this case, Canada geese, and it'll, um, again, calculate the reduction in, in overall risk based on that mitigation. So the final result of this is we take the aggregate wildlife risk score, we do an operations adjustment, we do a habitat adjustment, we do a mitigation adjustment, and we come up with what's called an overall aggregate wildlife risk score. And the model gives you a graphic and a numerical value for that. Okay, so we can take it one step further and let's say that that's your baseline. So let's say we follow this now for years and uh, what we're trying to do is drive that aggregate risk score down and to the left, if you will, on that risk matrix. We're driving it from the red toward the green. Um, so we're making some progress there. But let's say we want to um, experiment with what would happen. Let, let's say I've got agriculture, for example. Um, maybe it's on the airport property, but outside the airport security fence. Let's say we terminate that agricultural outlease. What would happen to my overall risk score if I do that? So all I got to do is go into the future module and, and, and apply a high level of mitigation um, and remove that agriculture from the list of habitat that's uh, within, that, um, within that perimeter. What happens to my score? So we can go to the airport operator manager uh, or the you know the, the community um, director or the aviation director and say look if we remove this uh, potential attractant here's what will happen to your overall risk score so it's a decision making tool as well to use this model you can show them in a quantitative sense how that would affect your overall uh, aggregate uh, wildlife risk score um, so in any case, what, what an airport should do is now go back every year or every six months or whenever, every migratory season, and you know recalculate this, and and you can show over time trending analysis that your program is successful, or again where the gaps are where we need to to do. That's the WAMRAC. Um, now let me just say one last thing, and I'll answer any question you got or anybody else may have out there too. 
the advanced model is identical to the easy version, except that you as a sophisticated wildlife biologist on your airport, you know I have swans, geese, uh, ducks, um, I've got mallards, I've got teal. Um, I can go in and, and enter multiple different individual species in there. Now, within the model, um, you know, for example, green-winged teal, blue-winged teal, and cinnamon teal all have exactly the same severity score because their weights are virtually identical. So you might put in three different species of ducks, but it's going to calculate a risk severity, uh, I mean, a severity level that goes into that risk module at the exact same level. But if I put in geese, that's got a completely different severity level than do ducks. Mm -hmm. uh, if I put swans in, that's the next level up. And if those are flocking, that's an even further uh, level of risk. So you can uh, put the individual species in there. Again, the, the model will aggregate those for you into various categories of severity. Whereas in the easy model, you just say, I have waterfowl. And it takes the overall aggregate uh, risk based on the, um, the, the median um, biomass of that. In the advanced model, all you're doing is being able to be more discriminatory. Now I can go in and say, well, I'm going to get rid of the swans. What does that do to my overall risk score? Whereas in the easy model, all you can do is say, I got to get rid of the waterfowl as a collective group. Right, right. So it's a little bit more advanced in that regard. We recommend every airport start with the easy model, get to get to learn how to use it, and then advance to the advanced model um, to where you can be much more discriminatory based on that individual species that are there, even though, once again, those are still aggregated within those five levels of severity. So so that's it in a nutshell. I mean, it's uh, uh, there's a lot of calculations going on in the background, uh, a lot of assumptions, a lot of... Um, algorithms that are running these models, all of which are spelled out in this document in full detail. You can look at uh, every every assumption, every calculation that was made is in this document. Um, but, you know, if you don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of this, all you got to do is put in a couple of data sheets worth of uh, information and it'll run it all for you in the background. So, so for folks that uh, might not be as familiar with this, Tell them, how do they get a hold of that? How do they get a hold of the ACRP report and, and get a hold of this, um, this the, all the, the modeling software? Yeah, the, um, the ACRP report is available in, in two formats on the ACRP website. You can download this for free um, and you get all the documents that way. Um, if, but you can also purchase this hardcover document. It, you know, none, none, none of us are making any money. This goes to, <laughs> all it does is pay for the, the production costs of the document. On the very back page of this thing, if you buy the document, there's a, <clears throat> there's a DVD included. So this DVD has the entire document and the model in here. Um, but you... When we first set this up, as far as I know, this is still there. I, I'll be honest, we haven't checked on it in a few months. But the, the model should be on the ACRP website to download for free. We made it on commercially available, off-the-shelf COT software so that there's no proprietary interest in this. Um, so you, you should be able to download it. Just go ACRP Report 145 on their website, and you can download it. If not... FA has actually uploaded 
um, a version of the entire thing that the document and the CD or the DVD is on the FA's wildlife uh, website. So if you go into the FA, FA.gov and then go and slash wildlife, you can look at all the resources that the FA uh, also imp inputs it, and you can download the the uh, the model itself off the FA's site. Now, I say that occasionally the FA site doesn't work, <laughs> um, but in any case, it's out there for free. Um, you may have to do a couple of Google searches to find it. Yeah, just um, so just so I want to make sure it's going to pull up, but it is a uh, wildlife.faa.gov is how you get to the wildlife section of the website but i know they just um everything's changed just like everything else nowadays everything seems to be changed right now so uh i used to know how to navigate to it i don't i'll have to play with it again to figure out how to navigate to it yeah again if you can go fa.gov slash wildlife or wildlifefa.gov just exactly like you said yep. and then if you uh, if you if you get on that site it has uh links to the fa wildlife strike reporting database it has all of the advisory circulars, cert alerts, and other publications that are done in conjunction with them and the USDA. And it has other resources, including all of the wildlife-related ACRP reports are on that uh, on that website. Again, I say that occasionally things crash, or um, but I, I've been able to find it there in the past. And you yep. can download the entire document and the model there as well. Oh, I was mistaken. Yeah, it's not on that. So that was for the, that's the one I always go to. What got me mistaken. Um, the wildlife.fa.gov, that's, that is like you just said for the, that's the direct website to uh, submit and search the database. Right. But like you said, uh, to get to where all this is, it's faa.gov slash airports slash airport underscore safety slash wildlife slash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you got that up. <laughs> Um, you can just Google FA Wildlife and it'll also pop right up. Yep. <laughs> so last, um, the last thing I'll say, and this is really important too, for uh, and you've used it so you know this, the last four pages um, uh, of the document, and including in the, in the online version, are these uh, quick start guides. One for the easy version. It's a, it's a two-page document. Uh, you can actually get this in hard copy and it's back to back. So it comes on one piece of paper. And then the, the last uh, pages that is the um, advanced version. And uh, in any case, I'm, I'm just holding this up to show you. This will walk you through every single step we just talked about. Now, it does not talk about the assumptions and the calculations, but it shows you start with worksheet number one. Here's what you put in. Move to worksheet number two. Here's what you put in. And it'll it'll explain the outcome that you get um, both in a numeric and a and a, um, a graphical format. So definitely anybody that's using this, get this quick start guide, and that'll walk you through the entire process. Uh, otherwise, you know that everything's detailed and and way more specificity in the document itself. But when in you know back to back one page one sheet of paper, you can run these models anywhere you are. So just for the sake of continuity, uh, I just want to let you guys know that for a few minutes here, uh, we did lose Rust in, in the middle of this interview. Um, we're not sure what happened, uh, but the internet froze up for a second there, and we took a few couple minutes, we were able to reconnect, and we were able to, to finish this out. But uh, 
yeah, back to the regular scheduled program. But uh, yeah, all of a sudden you were just gone. Yep, I, yeah, yeah. Walked away, put my put, put my um my tea mug back in the kitchen when when uh, you try to call him back. I have a, I still have good signals, so I have no idea what happened. So I'm sure we're pretty close anyway. So <laughs> yeah, you were. Oh crap! Now I forget what you were talking about. <laughs> you, well, those easy start guides. Hopefully, you got all that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, think we, I believe we were. I think we were like within like a minute or so of being done. But um, yeah, it's just, that's probably not a good way to end it. So <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. um, I just well now that we got you back, I can. Um, Yeah, there I go getting scatterbrained again. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of any questions I might have, and I think you did a really great job of, you know, explaining everything. And uh, I think everybody, I think it's something that everybody should play with, especially since you're not, I mean, you don't have to pay for it, you know. Like, um, this is a free tool. It's a really cool tool, uh, and it can come in really handy for for these airport operations folks um especially if you're trying to translate you know anecdotal evidence into something hard i mean it's hard to argue with the numbers um i mean you guys have done a fantastic job of getting the models done um getting the math and and putting a, a just a phenomenal tool in the hands of wildlife and operations personnel um so thank you for that um and you were asking me if I had any questions, but I mean, as I think as I progress and use it more, um, I'll definitely come up with a few and, uh, we'll have to go back and talk about some of them. And, uh, you know, as the, the rest of the folks in the company, you know, begin to use this, they're going to have some questions. Um, if anybody does have questions, do you mind if they reach out to you for maybe some clarifications on some stuff or, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, just uh, email is probably best, birdmanrus at AOL.com. And I'm uh, happy to help. And uh, yeah, I'll also be glad to hear feedback as you put this in place out there because uh, there's not a lot of people that have really thoroughly tested it, and especially people that really uh, are sophisticated users. So let us know how it goes. And uh, um, yeah, like I said, it's a free tool. We think everybody doing a hazard assessment on an airport or an up, update to their management plan or a, you know, a trending analysis on their airport should be using this. Right, because in all reality, it's not like you have to go out and get extra data. I mean, you should already be getting the wildlife data. You should already know what's around. Um, the operations data is there. The habitat data, you already have the data. This is just a better, a really solid way to piece it all together and and really, like I said, just produce some numbers. Um, it's really hard to argue with math, uh, especially, you know, if you have to go sit down in a meeting, you have to uh, try to allocate funds somewhere or you need to, you know, validate something in somebody else's eyes. It's, it's really hard to argue. You know, a one to five scale is not that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to make um, it simple, but you're right. It's a good decision-making tool for people spending money and, uh, you know, where to where to target their resources. So hopefully the airport operators see the value in this as well. Yeah, and I, I believe they will. I think this is, um, and hopefully this podcast really helps to, to raise awareness for this program and, you know, we'll, I mean, definitely be 
um, shouting the word and, and, you know, putting this out there. And uh, I think as more and more folks gain traction, you know, if they have questions, like, like you said, this, this model can be manipulated. You guys can mess with it a little bit. Um, if, you know, there is maybe a shortcoming that somebody is defined down the road at some point. Um, and I think that's awesome too, is that, um, I, I always mark that as, as, uh, how I measure how somebody is, is you, is if you, as long as you know what you don't know kind of thing, or you don't know what you don't know. Um, and, you know, keep that open and, and, you know, keep it changing, keep it, um, keep it available. And, uh, yeah, overall, I think this program is a winner and I think we'll be seeing a lot more of it down the road. Good. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I, I'm happy to, to get some feedback, but also don't hesitate to give feedback directly to the FAA on this as well, because, uh, you know, they, they funded a lot of this and, and they really need to know how it's being used out there. So that'll, that'll go a long way to, making this a little bit more universally applied. So thanks. Oh, for sure. I think, yeah, and I think too, like if, if more folks are using it, I mean, they're going to be seeing it in reports. They're going to be seeing it uh, anecdotally, just talking to, you know, just talking to airport staff, you know, doing doing part 139 um, certification inspections. And um, I think the word, you know, either direct or indirect is going to be getting back to them. And Oh, pardon me. Um, I shouldn't have chugged that tea so bad. But, uh, but I got to, I'm, I'm cleaning out of questions for you. <laughs> I know I haven't asked a lot, but, um, I think you did a very good job of describing it and, and, uh, uh, you know, putting it out there in layman's terms that I think everybody's going to be able to understand and, and get a lot out of this. <laughs> well, the good thing about this too, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm a biologist also, but I also have, you know, operations experience. I've been working on airports now for, well, this is my 39th year. I'm aging myself here uh, with the military on the civil side. Um, but we had a great team. So I got another biologist who's also an Air Force, retired Air Force pilot. Tom Unings was the co-author on this. Uh, we had an excellent, excellent modeler who was uh, teaching at the Air Force Academy at the time in, in uh, um, management and, and uh and, you know, just has done a lot of multi-attribute decision-making tools like this. So he did all the um, algorithm work behind the scenes. All, all of us were involved. And then we had a SMS ex expert, Joanne Landry. Sorry, Tom, uh, Tim Cooley was our modeler. Joanne Landry is an SMS expert. She's done um, workshops and all for airports all over the country and actually overseas as well. Um, so we, we have a lot of experience there. But then on the ACRP team, we had USDA, FA, both the wildlife biologists and the SMS people. We had large airports, small airports. Um, you know, then we had all these test and, and uh, development airports that were involved in this. So um, th this does not come from one perspective. And, and you know, working in the uh, airport wildlife field that uh, you know, there's so many different aspects of this that need to be brought together. And that's what we try to do with this tool. So I don't want anybody using this to think that this came from one biased perspective at all. We had inputs from all the user groups, uh, everything from air traffic control to operations personnel to biologists to, uh, you know, again, modelers, safety management people uh, involved in the development of this. So it's not just me. This is a big team effort, and uh, 
um, you know, hopefully it's useful for everybody because everybody had their chance to get their inputs into this thing. Well, good. Thanks. Yeah, let me know how it goes. All right. Well, thank you, Ross. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, Thanks. Bye. So there you have it, folks. That is Whamrat in a nutshell. Thank you to Russ for sitting down with us and you know explaining everything and putting out nice, good layman terms for us. Um, I think the Whamrat is an awesome tool that can help everybody. Uh, you know, it'll be kind of quantitative in how to assess wildlife on your airport. Uh, if you stuck around with us this long, make sure to go down below, hit the like, share, subscribe button, and while you're at it, leave us a review. Uh, every episode podcast or podcast episode that we release, we will be going through those reviews, reading them. Uh, putting all the names in the hat, and then you know every time we do one of these, we'll draw a name out of the hat, and then that person will win some free swag. Uh, this could be stuff like snarge seasoning. We got some hats, uh, maybe some shirts. It's kind of whatever comes down the pike. So you never know what you might get. Um, our last uh, winner, uh, John RTD, over on I think it was Stitcher. Uh, if you could please come back and you'll get a hold of me again at jwarner at loomakers.com. J W A R N. W-A-R-N-E-R, forgot to spell my own name for a second there, at Loomakers, L-O-O-M-A-C-R-E-S.com. Uh, just tell me who you are uh, with your address. We will send you that swag. Um, we got some cool stuff uh, from our last our last guest. And, uh, yeah, just make sure you leave those reviews, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.